162 games of the baseball season and winter comes along just to end it. So the annual problem for a baseball fan is finding a good way to watch it. Like maybe going to the park or watching on TV or just catching the highlights. Watching Gary Sanchez strike out a hundred times or seeing Judge hit a bomb. Bang! Bogart's making plays, Rafi hitting nukes, or Barnes blowing a save. Arguing with your friend, making dumb bets, or complaining about your team again. As you can tell, there's a whole lot of stuff to hear before winter comes again. Come on, y'all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. So chill with us, cause Gamby and Beal are gonna say it all. Manfred! Gamby and Beal are making a podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Yank Your Socks Off podcast. I am one of your hosts, the Yankees fan of this podcast. The Well, we're both from Jersey, so no excuses there for why you shouldn't be a Yankees fan too. But I'm Andrew Gambardella and joining me as always, my best friend and co-host and the Red Sox fan of this podcast. He was born and raised the Red Sox fan on the other side of the fence. It is Mr. Matthew Beal. Beal, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty fantastic. Um, it's been it's been a good week. Um, always enjoying some late postseason football, so it's been a good time. Yeah. Well, before we get to that football and the one decent conference championship game that we got to watch this weekend, we're going to touch on some baseball. We're we're itchy to get to baseball season. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. This is predominantly a baseball podcast. And they just, if if I'm not mistaken, Beal, they just released um, some prospect rankings, farm system rankings, and we're, we're getting pretty close to spring training here. So is there anything that sticks out to you, Any? I mean, any sense of hope for your Red Sox? I mean, we've talked about them the last couple weeks about how they haven't made that big of moves um, on their major league team, but how's their farm system looking? Um, I love the farm system where it's at. Uh, I, I'm a deep diver into prospect lists, and um, for the most part, you know, those are starting to come out. Uh, the MLB pipeline came out in this past week, and, I mean, the Sox got – top 10 player. I, I mean, Marcelo Meyer is not going to be coming up anytime soon. He's only 20 years old and um, kind of feels like he's barely out of high school. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, he's sitting there in single A and he ended up with the number nine spot on the prospect list. Uh, you know, I mean, pipeline is a, a pretty standard. Uh, it's probably not the most trustworthy prospect list out there. But usually at the beginning of the year, they, they do a pretty good job of laying out the list. 
Um, obviously, they don't really update it much as the season goes by, unless if players are called up. Uh, so we'll we'll see what type of year Marcelo Meyer has. Uh, Tristan Cassis found his way in at the top twenty-five, um, and I mean, at right, first glance, it's it, it's pretty intriguing projections for teams like the Orioles. I mean. Number one, obviously, Gunnar Henderson will be starting his major league career with the Orioles this year. He's expected to make the opening day roster. Um, they've got two players in the top ten. Grayson Rodriguez, uh, their right-handed pitcher, will be uh, soon after Gunnar Henderson and then Jackson Holiday, uh, their young shortstop, falling in at 12. Um, and, I mean, talking about the AL East, Anthony Volpe, uh, had made number five on the list, so hats off to the Yankees, uh, that guy. Um, I know Volpe has been around for a while, and uh, I know you've been excited about him. So, I mean, honestly, throwing back the question to you, how do you feel about that? I think it's kind of a position where um, the Yankees have been waiting on Volpe for a little while, and um, he might fill in nicely into your lineup. Yeah, I, I am very, very excited about about the way our prospects are looking. Oswald Peraza barely outside the top 50, but looks like he's going to win. The I mean, we don't spring training hasn't even started yet, but the flashes he showed, especially with his glove at the end of last year, I don't see why he wouldn't be able to beat out um, Connor Falefa in spring training for the shortstop position. And then – Going from bottom to the top on this top 100 list, number 47 is the alien himself, Jason Dominguez. I I, I know he's still in in single A, but he he's a switch hitting power hitter that just he's got it all. He's got the speed. He's got the arm. He's he's a little I I don't know. He's a little raw still. He's he's very raw as as a player and. Uh, He's still a teenager, so we'll see. We're we'll see where that goes. You know, I'm not huge on prospects until they get close to the majors and 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 be able to affect what happens on the field in the majors because you never really know how they're going to perform it until they get there. Especially with me and you, even I mean, being a fan of of a team with a huge fan base, it is not easy to play in New York. I, just like every other Yankees fan, probably put way too much pressure and react way too much to early on to what people do in pinstripes. And we got to get let them settle in a little bit. But the media, everything about New York, it gets to you. The pressure gets to some people, and some people are able to just play through it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But like you said, we have a top five prospect, Anthony Volpe, who will make – the majors at some point in this, in this 2023 season. And I, I mean, I can't wait. He's from Jersey. He went to Del Barton. He's a homegrown guy. And I hope, I mean, I hope him and Peraza are the future up the middle, which means Glaber Torres could be on his way out pretty shortly as a second baseman. He's been rumored to want out. And uh, yeah, that, when when you have a big time player like that, he's a two time All Star, who who wants out of the team. It's uh, you never want that uh, 
that happening, obviously, for your you, you never want too much roster turnover. These guys hang out in, in the dugout and practice day in, day out. So they, they have to grow bonds with each other. So changing him out will hurt because I, I like Glaber plays the game with with an exuberance and an excitement and he's always got a smile on his face. So I've always loved that watching him play. Now I, I sound, I'm making it sound like he's already gone. He's not gone and and he'll probably still be a Yankee for most of this year, but it, it looks like uh, the door is closing on his time as a Yankee. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of looking that way. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think labor still has, a lot of um, potential to reach. Uh, I mean, obviously, we saw what he did early on, and then uh, amongst the position changing and you know the the crazy lineup changes that the Yankees had gone through, he definitely struggled for a time. But seemed like last year he was starting to get uh, back into his groove and um, swinging better. So, I mean, I think a lot of that will depend on how he plays this year. I mean, if they think he's ever performing, then yeah, go for it. I mean, you've got enough players to back him up in the farm system. And um, as the Yankees, you want to try to get as much return as you can because they're a team that has excess talent right now. So if you've got top prospects coming up that you think are going to perform, then, you know, why, why put a roadblock in front of them or vice versa? Like, if you've got a guy at that position um, that's blocking someone from coming up, then then why sit on that excess talent? So uh, I, I think it puts them in a good position. Um, personally, I am most excited for, I mean, Tristan Cassis, like I said, has fallen in the top 25. Uh, he's exciting, but personally, I am very excited for um, who – excuse me, the man who has fallen uh, as the number 86 prospect in the top 100. Um, he definitely is a, uh, I guess, a, a later bloomer uh, a little bit. He, uh, Sedane Rafaela, is a center fielding, shortstop kind of build player. He's quick. He's athletic. He really can play anywhere on the field, um, depending on, basically what positions open for him. So when he is ready, uh, I don't think the Red Sox are going to hesitate to call him up. Uh, he's estimated to reach the big leagues at some point this year. It'll probably be later this year, but uh, 22 years old, he'll turn 23 in September. So, um, you know, he's getting to the point where it seems like he's going to be called up pretty soon. He's five foot eight type player with crazy bat speed and, um, some people are calling him a little bit of a Mookie build. I, I mean, I'm not going to try to get hung up and, you know, what players he relates to or, you know, give him expectations like that. But, um, I, I mean, we've seen it before, kind of that smaller build infielder that um, the fielding just translates well to the outfield. And I'm not sure if that's a hit for the Red Sox and their development um, of players like that. But, it seems like Sedane Rafaela was that perfect piece to be able to develop a good middle infielder and um, a top of the line outfielder. His fielding is ranked 70 out of 80. So um, that's an incredible prospect ranking for fielding. So I am very excited for him. He's a very well-rounded player. Um, 
it, it'll be interesting. I, I'm reading here now. I, I read this earlier um, to myself because I thought it was funny. Um, he played for uh, Curacao in the Little League World Series in 2012 as a four foot nine, 71 pound kid. So, I mean, if that doesn't explain who this is pretty well, I, I mean, he's just, he's a hard worker. Um, he's been in the Red Sox system since 2017. So he's gotten plenty of playing time and it seems like his prospect grades and um, stock just keeps rising. So uh, I was very happy to see that we, well, who knows what trades are looming for the Red Sox, but I was very happy to this point to see that he has not been traded yet um, because I know he is one of the prospects that teams are calling most about uh, aside from Marcelo and Tristan. So um, I think Sedan Rafaela is going to be a huge piece to bring up, uh, whether playing second base, shortstop, or center field. We've got a lot of room there. Um, at some point in the middle of the season, maybe shortly after the All-Star break, it would be a lot of fun to see this kid play. Yeah, uh, that's that's a guy who I haven't heard about, so I'm, I'm glad you expanded on him because, yeah, I, I've, I've never heard about him, so I, I hope uh, I hope he uh, stays that way as a Red Sox <laughs> and, until he, he finds greener pastures elsewhere in the league. But – well. Now we have two players that we could call Rafi, so if he gets called up. So that would be fun, too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, one's enough for me. One's enough. Devers does enough damage. But that does it for our baseball talk for now. As you can see, we're both getting very excited to talk about baseball and to start watching baseball. And I wouldn't be surprised if I made made a spring training trip this year Ooh, uh, if you're exciting. if you're interested in that but uh yeah that, that that would be a lot of fun but until then we will put baseball back on the shelf and get back to the present and and what's happening in the present right now before we talk about the divisional games is sean payton former head coach of the new orleans saints and still technically on contract with the Saints, was just traded to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos. After taking a year off of coaching, Sean Payton will be trying to rehabilitate the career of Russell Wilson next year. In return for this, the Broncos are sending the first-round pick they acquired in the Bradley Chubb trade from Miami, and they're a second round pick in 2024 for Sean Payton and the Saints 2024 third round pick. So yeah, it's it's a lot for a head coach, but but Sean Payton is a huge upgrade from Nathaniel Hackett and Hackett just couldn't hack it in the league. So Sean Payton has a Super Bowl ring. Beal, I'll ask you this, was this a fair price to pay? You know, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'd call it fair. I, I was kind of, I, I was expecting that Sean Payton's asking price would be at least their first rounder. Um, I didn't realize that there would be, you know, other picks tied to it. And I know the Saints are sending a little bit back, but um, I, I would almost pitch it more like the Broncos paid what they needed to pay. Like it's, 
they made this investment in Russell Wilson. Um, I know I said this shortly before the podcast, but Russell Wilson is not an expense or not uh, not a cheap piece to take on as quarterback. And you need to build around your investment in order for that to thrive. And so the Broncos are feeling a little bit of pressure because last year Russell Wilson did not perform to the contract that he's being paid. And as the Broncos, you need to supplement that and you need to do your best to kind of create a system for Russell Wilson to thrive in so that your investment can pay off and that you can start to make the playoffs like the Broncos had expected to. So in their mind, that missing piece is the head coach. And I think a lot of people agree with that statement. Um, and it, personally, I, I think, you know, trading a, what did we say, first and second round for Peyton and the third round pick, uh, I, I think that's a worthwhile investment. I, I mean, that's something that you would pay for, like a Pro Bowl wide receiver or something like that. But for the Broncos, that's not really what it seems like they need. They need um, some consistency on offense, and um, and you're you're paying the price for a coach to be able to bring that consistency in and um, be able to allow your star quarterback to thrive. And um, let's face it, I mean, the Broncos need – an overhaul to their coaching staff and uh, to their offense to enable Russell Wilson to thrive. So, I mean, that's just what you have to pay to get that. And um, I, but I mean, overall, the question is, you know, it was this worth it? Um, did the Broncos get fleeced? And honestly, I would say no. I, I think, you know, um, bringing in a coach that potentially could help Russell Wilson play to the best of his ability is well worth a first and second round pick. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I mean, we could, we can make some content just, just to make some content. I could disagree with you, but no, I, I mean, we're nothing but, but uh, straightforward. And I, I, I couldn't be any, I, any happier to see Sean Payton leave the NFC. I mean, good and D'Amico Ryan's just got um hired as the Texans new head coach leaving the 49ers the more talented coaching and the more talented NFL minds that leave the NFC make it that much easier of a road for the Giants to compete year in and year out and that makes me happy because Sean yeah. Payton and D'Amico Ryan's are, are excellent football minds and I am glad that they make the AFC that much harder to compete in Agreed. Yep. So yes, this price, this, this is a price I would have paid. I mean, I would have paid a first round pick last year if we knew that what we were getting in Brian Dayball before we got it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like right now yeah. I would trade a first round pick to get Dayball Cause it just Agreed. change the whole outlook of a franchise and the whole chemistry in a locker room and just make that work environment so much better for the players to come in. So I think that's well worth a first round pick and, mm -hmm. and it's a late first round pick. It, you know, it might not be, I don't think it's worth a franchise QB, but for 20 something pick in the draft usually could be an impact starter. I think a head coach is worth that. I think a very good Super Bowl winning head coach is worth that. And Completely. you've seen, you've seen that this year with rookie head coaches and Doug Peterson and Dave all 
what they've been able to do for their teams in their respective conferences and change them around. Not that Dave Ball is a Super Bowl winning coach, but Doug Peterson is, and he was able to change change the Jaguars into something that they are usually not, which is finishing the season with a winning record. Yep. So, yeah, I, I think that's a fair deal. Now getting to the divisional round games, we'll start first with our NFC Beast rivals, Philadelphia Eagles. Congrats to all the Philly fans out there. I got plenty of friends who are Philly fans, and they seem to be crowning the Eagles. Champions are ready. The the parade has already started in Philly. It and and don't get me wrong, their play on the field backs it up. They have one of the best assembled rosters I have seen in a long, long time. There are no, there, there isn't a hole anywhere other than maybe some spotty run defense every so often, but they're facing a chief's chiefs team that doesn't really have a great rushing attack to impose on, on the Eagles. They do. Nor do they have a mobile quarterback right now. Right. Especially (laughs) with, yeah. And the Eagles 70 sacks in the regular season and they've been menaces uh, against the Giants and Niners, that defensive line. I mean, in this past game, the defensive line knocked out both of San Francisco 49ers quarterbacks, you know, because yeah. they just kept getting hit and they kept getting put on the grass. And if I don't know if Mahomes is, is otherworldly, he's an otherworldly quarterback, so I wouldn't be shocked if he somehow pulled – you know, the rabbit out of a hat and made this Super Bowl one of the greatest games ever. And he just took over and and found a way to will his team to a victory. But if you look at these teams side by side as a, as a Super Bowl preview, the Eagles are better at every single position other than tight end, quarterback, and, and Chris Jones at defensive tackle. Other than those three starters, the Eagles are better everywhere else. Yeah, I I would agree with that statement. I, I think that's fair. The Chiefs have a solid O-line as well and a solid defense. I'm not saying yeah. they don't have solid players, but if you just look at them one by one, it like corner to corner, the, the Chiefs have a standout rookie playing corner, and and you want to if if you want to compare him to Darius Slay or James Bradbury, I, I just don't think there's yeah. I mean, the body of work just isn't there. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. The Eagles are a very complete team. Um, we've seen that time and time again. Uh, I I think it's a shame people who have called their path to the Super Bowl easy. I mean, yeah, maybe the playoffs have been, but they're blowing teams away. Uh, the Giants came off a really big win against the Vikings, uh, a really high-scoring game. Eagles absolutely blew out the Giants. Um, and then when they were tasked with the Niners, I, I know the Niners ran and said they're injury trouble, but, I, I mean, it's still a good Niners team, still a solid defense, and um, – it just it didn't even really feel like a game at any point in um, that game on uh, Sunday. So I, I think the Eagles are kind of cruising into the Super Bowl. The Chiefs have definitely had a tough route, um, but, I, I mean, they made it to the other side, and now both teams have two weeks of break, and um, they could get rejuvenated, and Patrick Mahomes can 
get off his ankle a little bit and rest. And um, same with Jalen Hurts. I, I mean, I think it's gone a little bit under the radar. Um, Jalen Hurts is obviously still dealing with some issues from when he was hurt late in the season. I, I think that was clear in the first half. He wasn't really testing it too much was kind of mostly just staying back in the pocket uh and then you kind of saw him start to run around a little bit late third quarter uh which was good to see from the eagle standpoint is that he can get around but um i think the two weeks is going to be really great for both these quarterbacks so um hopefully we'll see them at their full capabilities yeah i I hope he and the rest of the chief because miko hardman tony and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, three wide receivers, three of the top four wide receivers for the Chiefs, all went out with injury in that game um, on Sunday against the Bengals. So they need the time to rest up and heal because the Eagles, look, are, are healthy. or Everybody's healthy, and they look like an absolute juggernaut. And, yeah, everything's clicking for them. Sirianni's coaching up. Looks like he's coaching up a masterpiece. Now, talking and recapping about the games in particular, San Francisco never had a shot after Purdy was knocked out of the game. I mean, they had a maybe a 1% chance with Josh Johnson, the journeyman, coming in. And then when Josh Johnson got knocked out of the game, I mean, it was – especially when he dropped the ball on that shotgun snap and fumbled it when they were driving down 14-7 to right before the half. That yeah. was the that was the game. That was it because the Eagles knew coming out of halftime that the 49ers could not throw the ball past the line of scrimmage. So they were putting nine, 10 guys in the box and the game was over. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it was, I wish that the 49ers were able to play with a quarterback in that game. Cause I think it could have been much more of a fight and much more of a better a much better game to watch, but unfortunately it wasn't. And and that's really the story to it. I mean, Hertz didn't have to do much. They kind of, they just ran it and tried to milk the clock. Didn't take many chances at all. And, and why do they need to, they have the best offensive line in football and they have carried that all the way to the Super Bowl and just rode that. So yeah, I, uh, I owe my buddy a Wawa sub now because I didn't I didn't think the Eagles were going to get to the Super Bowl. I thought the <laughs> this Niners team was going to stop them, and that that was only me being hopeful as a as a biased Giants fan that that maybe we could pull off a miracle a couple weeks back. But uh, I we thought def- so too. We definitely didn't, and I, I let my get I let my expectations and hopes get way out of proportion. But hats <laughs> off to the Eagles; they were the best team in the NFC all year. And they uh, they are the best team to represent the NFC this year in the, in the Super Bowl, and I I think I think they got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think they've definitely been the best team so far. Uh, I mean, we'll see. Um, I, I can't say that I'm rooting for the Eagles, but they've been very very good and. I'm leaning that way towards thinking that they're going to do it as well. Right. And getting to the other team that made the Super Bowl, the Chiefs. In their Sunday night game at Arrowhead, uh, it it was 
it was a wild game. 23-20 finish. And on a roughing, roughing the on a late hit call out of bounds, they get into field goal range as time is as time is ticking down. The Chiefs don't have any timeouts left. And they're only able to kick a field goal because of that. And I that defensive end. I mean, I, my heart goes out to him because he knew right away that he had royally screwed up. And, I mean, they just kept zooming in on him, crying um, in his helmet. And I, I, uh, my heart goes out to him because I know, I know he was just yeah. trying to compete. It didn't look, didn't look like there was any malice or, or ill intent there, but you cannot Definitely. do that there. Yeah. And talking about the rest of the game, though, not that call. There was some very poor officiating in, in that game. And and it it's I think everybody watching that game as a non-buy, like I didn't have a dog in this fight. You didn't have a dog in this fight. I thought the officiating throughout the game really favored the Chiefs. I, I think there was there was some like missed calls. There was some like that intentional grounding that did not need to be called. Oh man, they, that was brutal. That that call where they just let the Chiefs redo a third down because some a ref um, that was trying to run in, but nobody heard anything. It didn't affect the play at all, and they just gave them a new down. Uh, okay. it, it didn't end up giving the Chiefs points, but they did end up getting another first down on that pl- next play on a defensive holding call. And I don't blame Zach Taylor, the Bengals head coach for going insane. It looked like the Bengals had something and, and it's, and I honestly think that the Bengals were the better team watching that game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I I don't know. I, I mean, I, like you said, neither of us had a dog in the fight, but, um, I don't know. I, I've, I really like Joe Burrow. I've come to appreciate the way he battles and the way he plays. Uh, I mean, between the two things, I agree with you. I think the Bengals looked like the better team. Um, The better quarterback on Sunday won, which is tough to admit because I wanted Burrow to play better. But ultimately, Patrick Mahomes was, uh, you know, uh, despite the – the questionable calls at the end and, you know, mistakes on the defensive side, Patrick Mahomes put his body on the line for that game. And, um, and I mean, hats off to him for that. And, you know, despite the fumble that came earlier uh, in the half and, you know, being able to battle when you need to make up points to break that ties, you know, what it comes down to. And uh, Joe Burrow had his chance and ultimately, you know, yeah. allowed Patrick Mahomes to take the ball and drive down the field with 30 or 40 seconds or whatever it was. But I, I do think if that game goes into overtime, that Burrow is coming away with the win. I, I just think he had a little bit more left in the tank. Um, he just wasn't able to do it on the last drive. And, I mean, it all comes down to time. We talk about that all the time. It's like it, it all depends on when that final whistle blows. It's like, that's that's what it comes down to in those games. It comes down to the possessions, the length of possessions, um, and who ends up with the ball. Yeah, and and Chris Jones was. And we talk about this all the time. It's it's in the in the postseason now. It's it's quarterbacks, game changing players, 
on the defensive line yep. will dictate how the game goes. And Chris Jones, he was got his, insane. He was insane. And he made the play today on that third down as the Bengals were trying to drive to kick a last second field goal before they punted back to the Chiefs. He came away with a sack on probably the biggest down of the Chiefs defensive season. And he, he got them a chance to put the ball back in Mahomes' hands and, and Mahomes did enough to get them in field goal range and, and the rest is history now. But, you know, you can only bring the refs so much. I mean, Burrow played pretty well. He was pretty dynamic, all things considered. He got sacked four times, I think, in the first quarter. He was yeah, I think like three in the first drive. Yeah, I think it, they went three and out on sacks. It's not the Bengals' fault. They really invested on the offensive line, but two of their starters, I mean, injuries in the last couple weeks of the season just derailed their offensive line. They were a- able to hold up against the Bills, but they were not able to hold up against the likes of Frank Clark, Frank Clark and Chris Jones on Sunday. And that was their downfall, really. He was under, under pressure all day. He stood in there, made some great throws. And then the Chiefs' corners made some incredible interceptions and incredible plays on the football against Joe Burrow. I don't think either interception was really his fault. They were just great plays by the defensive backs on the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs can make plays like that against the Eagles and they can stop the run, that's a big if because the Eagles have just been able to run the ball and Jalen Hurts hasn't had to throw a deep ball really hasn't had to throw um a tough pass and they're off he gets all day to throw the ball so this Chiefs defense now has a tough test Uh, my hat goes off to the Bengals and and Cincinnati fans if I was a Cincinnati fan I would be livid right now but looking to the future you have Joe Burrow you have Jamar Chase you have T Higgins you have all these guys signed not many big free agents other than I think a couple of guys on that defense coming up on free agency this offseason. So you, you definitely ha- still have a window, a Super Bowl window. But, uh, you know, we know in, in the game of football, Super Bowl windows close very fast, Bill. So you got to take advantage of them. So it, it, it hurts even more when your team comes that close. Yeah. Yeah. But going to the Super Bowl, I mean, we've hinted at it all week. We think, I think we both think the, the Eagles are juggernauts. My prediction all season was 49ers over Chiefs, and I decided to stick that. We stick through that, and uh, we changed it up each round. We gave each other the opportunity to change each round, but I stuck with that 49ers over Chiefs. That will not come to fruition. You had Bengals over Eagles. That won't come to fruition either. So we both have one team in the Super Bowl that we thought would have gotten there, but we both had that team losing. So, Beal, who do you think is going to win this Super Bowl? And uh, next week, obviously, there's two weeks before the Super Bowl, um, before we get to see Rihanna perform at halftime and and hopefully watch a great Super Bowl. But as of now, I'll give you the opportunity to switch next next week and uh, and – Come next week, maybe I'll switch too. But as of right now, what do you, what do you what are you going with in the Super Bowl? I feel like my gut's telling me to go with the team that I picked in the first round of the Super Bowl. Um, 
I, I picked the Eagles. I went to the Giants because I never pick against the Giants. Um, but, you know, then I went back with the Eagles last week. Um, again, I want to reiterate this. I would hate if the Eagles won. It would make me very disappointed and very upset. And I'd have to deal with a, uh, you know, Philly fan coworker bragging for the next, I don't know, two months, year, whatever it is. Um, so I don't want that to happen. But do I think they're going to win? Yes. Um, I will be rooting for the Chiefs, but I think the Eagles are going to win. So I'm sticking. Excuse me. I'm sticking with Philly here. Um, they will likely be greasing those poles in a couple weeks from now. Yeah, it, it seems like everybody's going to be on the Eagles just with the way they've been looking. And it, it just looks like the vibes are high in Philly. And I don't see them getting – I don't see the vibes going down when they travel to Arizona. But you're taking the Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles. They just look like the better team. And and if I get – if there's reports that the, the Chiefs the, – the Chiefs – Coaching-wise, Andy Reid's been to the Super Bowl three times. He's one and two in the Super Bowl. And this this narrative of the Chiefs, that if the Chiefs want to say that they're they're the team of this decade, they've now been to the Super Bowl three or five years. But if they don't come away with multiple Super Bowls in those appearances, I I don't know if you can call yourself the team of the decade. You know what I'm saying? So this is yep. this is I think huge for 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 a dynasty chance in Kansas city and for the city of Philadelphia, the city that the city of blue collar people and a city of fighters, um, they're not going to back down from this fight. And I cannot wait to watch the super bowl. I'm just happy. It's not the Eagles Patriots. Like it wasn't to 2018 where I really did not want to root for either team. I, I at least can root for the chiefs a little bit in this game, but I, I think, uh, I think for now, I'm looking at the Eagles winning this game uh, 38 to 35 in a shootout. I, I think, nah, 38 31. I, I, I think, I think it's going to be a shootout, and I, I don't think, I think the the Eagles defense makes one too many plays and gets and wins the turnover battle, which which has been huge for Philly because they don't turn the ball over. So I, I think that's what what's going to happen come two weeks from now. As of now, we'll see next week. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm I'm very excited uh, because I, I think this is really going to be a testament to to Patrick Mahomes. Um, I mean, Jalen Hurts could really kick off his career right here and kind of change his narrative. Uh, but I, I think there's a lot riding on Patrick Mahomes and. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, he's received a ton of pressure from around the league since he started. Um, obviously, uh, the Chiefs won it all a couple of years ago. Uh, and then, you know, having that close battle with Tom Brady and kind of everyone putting on him like, you know, you can't be the GOAT if you lose, which, I mean, I stand by. I think that's true. Um, that GOAT conversation is likely over, and it's not really fair to put that expectation on anybody. So, I mean, it's nothing against him. It's when you're playing the GOAT, that's what's going to happen. Um, but for Patrick Mahomes, I think you're right to continue that dynasty. 
opportunity to be one of the most dominant in this current era, this new era that is started. You know, you can't be losing the quarterbacks uh, younger than I, I just. I mean, I know it happens. Um, young players come into the league and they fall out. Um, but uh, I, I think most people would recognize that, you know, Joe Burrow is younger and less experienced than Patrick Mahomes. He beat him last year. He almost beat him this year. Um, and now you're playing a guy like Jalen Hurts, who going into the year, I, I think a lot of people considered him maybe on the outside of the top 10 looking in. Um, definitely now he is a top 10 quarterback with what he's shown this year. Um, but as Patrick Mahomes, I, I think it would be a big, big killer to his legacy if um, he loses in the Super Bowl game. Um, I, I mean, obviously getting there is a huge accomplishment in and of itself, but um, I, I think that narrative is going to continue if, if he can this one. Again, nothing against him I think for holding to a very high standard. Um, plenty of quarterbacks never even get one Super Bowl victory. So, um, yeah. it's, right. it's, a, it's a high bar to live up to what Tom Brady and Bill Belichick were able to do in New England. Right, exactly. So. But this is this is the benchmark for a dynasty. If you want to be the dynasty of the 2020, uh, I think you have to win. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you totally. Well, that does it for us today, um, this week. Next week, if you're looking out for next week, we will be doing a NBA trade deadline podcast next week. And hopefully the Bulls make some moves. Hopefully the Western Conference leaders right now, Denver Nuggets, your Denver Nuggets, Beal, hopefully yep. they make some moves as well to make a make a uh, NBA Finals push. The Bulls are in no man's land right now in the East, and they're, they're eh. They're just eh. So we'll see which road they take, whether they're sellers or buyers. So we'll have that discussion as well as another Super Bowl preview. That does it for us. As always, we love y'all. Enjoy your sunsets, your sunrises, your brunches, your lunners. And, uh, yeah, arrivederci. Beal, take us out. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I got my money on Eli and the Eli Payton Bowl coming up. So um, enjoy some flag football. Thank mm-hmm. you.